Hi, Doctor. I'm Nadia from Zenonco.io, and it is really an honor to have you on our today's knowledge sharing session. And to introduce our company, Zenonco.io, uh, Love Heals Cancer, we guide cancer patients in their treatment journey with integrative oncological approach, right? And in today's session about spreading awareness and educating cancer patients, we have you with us, right? So yeah. it's really an honor and really a pleasure. And I can't, I'm really looking forward to having this conversation with you, doctor. And let me take this opportunity to introduce you, doctor. So Dr. Rajay Kumar uh, is a surgical oncologist by profession and he specializes in liver transplant, hepatobiliary cancers, laparoscopic surgery, and he has completed his GI and HP, HPB fellowship from Tata Memorial Hospital and HPB Liver Transplant Fellowship at Seoul in, K in, K in South Korea. Since the last 12 years of his career, he has been treating thousands of cancer patients and continues to do this amazing work that he does. Thank you, doctor. Really, thank you for taking the time out and being with us here today. Yeah, right? thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Really, it has been quite a pleasure. So, Let's jump to the Q&A session and let's take it. I'll leave the podium out for you, doctor, there. Uh, I realize from most of my uh, research about you, I realize most of your surgeries have been specialized in liver, pancreas and the digestive system. So talking about that, could you please enlighten us? Could you share your insights on that, please, doctor? So... Uh... I mean, as I'm sure a lot of people know, cancer of the liver especially uh, is mostly due to alcohol. Right. And um, that is one aspect of it and also due to diet. Uh, mm -hmm. As uh, there is a certain thing called fatty liver because of bad diet and, uh, you know, basically diet high in fat. So you end up with this condition called fatty liver, which people have found mm -hmm. now that... Uh, that also is uh, contributing to liver cancers. So alcohol, fatty liver, and of course, hepatitis. Everybody, everybody must have heard of hepatitis. Yes. So once uh, that hepatitis infection itself over a period of, say, 15 years, 20 years, that can damage the liver and lead to liver cancer. Okay. And yeah. So these are the three main things, uh, hepatitis, alcohol, and diet. Fatty liver, and, yeah. Yeah, and pancreas also, it's more or less the same. Uh, okay. Not hepatitis per se, but uh, there's no particular cause for pancreas and gallbladder, to be very honest. Uh, gallbladder oh. cancers are normally found uh, in the northern regions, you know, UP, Bihar for some reason. Uh, okay, there's so a specific place also where gallbladder cancer. Yeah, that most of the people seem to be coming from there, but you've not been able to figure out why, you know, what is the cause of it. But okay. uh, that's the trend we normally see. Ah, okay. Yeah. And pancreas also, there's no particular uh, positive agent as such. But uh, yeah, but you know, when you have repeated pancreatitis infection of the pancreas and uh, certain other things, you know, it can predispose to pancreatic cancer, but that's not like the main cause as such. Okay. So liver, yeah, diet, alcohol and uh, hepatitis. Doctor, one query, right? Sorry to cut you off there, yeah. doctor. One query. Uh, you, you said first alcohol can lead to uh, uh, problems liver in the cancer. liver, liver yeah. cancer. And you also said fatty liver. Yeah. So is alcohol causing the fatty liver or, or are there non-fatty 
uh, non-alcoholic fatty livers that are there. Yeah, yeah, non-alcoholic. Um, that's basically because of the diet, uh, diets which right. are high in fat and unhealthy diet basically. Right, they right. Fatty liver. Alcohol basically leads to uh, you know cirrhosis, damage of the liver, and then liver cancer. The right, two separate right. things: alcohol and the diet. Yeah. Right, right, right. So there are two separate things. Yeah. Anyways, causes the cancer that we finally land up with. Yeah, I mean it, it's not like. Uh, it uh, all the cases of fatty liver or all uh, cases of people who have alcohol will end up with it but the the risk is much higher okay yeah. with reference to gallbladder cancer doctor how yeah. would your treatment plan be different from like say for example a first stage uh, advance uh, from a, a first stage to an advanced cancer in gallbladder cancer so that's a very uh, see that applies for all cancers when it's a right. first stage you always go in with surgery maybe the first or the second stage right uh, when it's a certain advanced stage when you're talking of stage 3 maybe or stage 4 right. then there's no rule of surgery right then you generally go in with uh, maybe a chemotherapy or something like that but uh, not just gallbladder so basically it applies to all cancers right 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 the other stage uh, it's more amenable to surgery later stages you don't do surgery Okay, later stages you don't do surgery. No. So, what are your uh, treatment plans for the later stages? Like I said, chemotherapy. Okay. Uh, maybe radiotherapy. Okay. But it's uh, mainly palliative in the sense, uh, uh, basically to improve the quality of life. Sometimes, if it's very advanced, you don't do anything at all. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And uh, what are your insights on palliative care? How can it best be done? What are our services out there? Um. See, services in the sense, main thing is, like I said, to improve the quality of life. Right. So, you're not giving any chemotherapy, if you're just, uh, uh, the patient or the patient opts not to have any treatment, then it's just a question of taking care of the nutrition. Then, uh, if you have specific symptoms, like if you have pain, you give pain medications. Uh, if you have uh, symptoms of vomiting, you give medications for that. Okay. So, basically, medicines for specific symptoms. Right, right. Right, doctor. So you were saying about gallbladder cancers and their advanced stages and palliative care, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So let's, talking about uh, what would you like to point out about surgery? What are your insights about surgery and taking it up as the primary treatment approach here? I mean, as a surgical oncologist, um, when would one finally you know, decide on doing surgery and when should one not do surgery? Yeah, again, like I mentioned in early stages, uh, that again depends on uh, a whole lot of investigation. You do a CT scan, sometimes a whole body PET scan, uh, MRI, you do a whole bunch of tests and then you figure out what the stage of the disease is. So okay. like I said, so if it's the first stage or the second stage, again, that applies for any uh, malignancy. So you go ahead with surgery most of the time. So, yes. yeah, so it is basically whole, after you do a lot of tests, you decide what stage the disease is and then you plan uh, for surgery accordingly. So stage one, two mostly is uh, you do go in for surgery. You, you do go in for yeah. Whatever said and done, you do go in for surgery. Yeah. Because that is the protocol, right? Yeah. And there are, there are situations where you are unable to do the surgery, although it's, it is like, say, for example, the person is much older. Yeah. No, so what, age what? doesn't really matter. We don't really look at age. We just look at what we call performance status. 
right uh, we do a whole uh, assessment of the patient in, uh, you know the various comorbidities maybe blood pressure diabetes heart issues and okay. uh, how the patient is overall you know whether it's frail looking you know nutrition status and all that so yeah, age so- doesn't really matter you can be 80 85 90 so that is not an issue okay that is not an issue so no, no, not at all all yeah. right all right what about their nutrition you were talking more about nutrition what is the yeah. like when you say about digestive system what would yeah. you suggest as the best nutritional you know plan for a person because nutrition plays a very important role in the cancer yeah yeah no so see before obviously the patient is diagnosed you have no control over their nutrition so once right. you come to know of it then see again uh, like when you diagnose the patient and before the patient goes in for surgery or chemotherapy there's not much time you barely have a week or so okay so you can't really do any radical changes to the diet or anything like that within one week nothing much is going to change right yeah because you can obviously guide them tell them that prior to surgery or this you have a little more healthy diet have a high protein diet uh have some probiotics or vitamins and all that okay so but yeah over a period of time suppose the chemotherapy goes on for 6 months or something or post surgery okay uh, you can always tell them to have a healthier diet than what they are having uh, less fatty food uh, more uh, vegetables you know high protein diet and all those things so right. basically that is post surgery you can advise them but before surgery or anything it's not going to make much of a difference so I mean, as far as I, yeah continue doctor you can optimize them like i said you can uh, for that one week or 10 days which you have prior to surgery Right. you can uh, give them some protein powders and stuff like that to improve their overall condition right but the main thing would be post surgery yeah okay so post surgery is what we have control over right yeah as doctors like yeah. as as healthcare professionals yeah. other than that it is before cancer there is one set of nutrition then while while they are going through the treatment it's another set of nutrition and then post surgery or post the treatment is yeah a different lifestyle I mean, not different said is just the basic thing like uh, have a healthy diet that's all if you tell them very complicated things you know they're not going to follow it anyways oh, so okay yeah it has to be a very a basic thing like what you do at home just change it a little bit like avoid <laughs> oily food huh. uh, if you're having a lot of red meat maybe cut that down a little bit have okay. more of eggs for protein okay you can suggest some protein powders so these are very practical things because lot of the patients are non affording right and right others also they are used to the diet for so long they are not going to uh you know if you drastically change their diet is not going to really work so you Correct. just minor changes you can add something like a protein powder or some uh vitamin tablets or you know omega 3 pills and all that but okay. apart from that nothing drastic as such okay what would you suggest for people who have terminal malignancies what would their nutrition be then Uh, again the same thing see problem with the terminal malignancies is a lot of them have loss of appetite oh so, yeah that, that's the thing so even if you tell them to have a whole bunch of things they'll not be able to have so what can they have doctor it it depends i mean uh, what whatever they feel like you don't we normally don't tell them to uh, we don't tell the relatives and all to force them to eat right right because right. that's not going to help you know they'll probably throw it up, throw up or uh, you know it's not going to make much of a difference so whatever they feel comfortable with you know you can have okay so, so if they can't have solid food you can have liquids more of juices again like i said protein powder mixed with milk 
you know okay. probably easier to digest even with water you can have the protein powders right right so, right terminal cases it's up to them you know honestly it is uh, whatever they are comfortable with whatever they feel like eating it's up to them you don't force them with medicines also and you don't force them with diet also right right you don't force them you, the patient is at ease the patient should be at yeah, ease so there the main thing again like i mentioned earlier is quality of life quality you can't really force them you know now you eat now you eat so it doesn't really help yeah doctor also one more thing um after surgery like say for example the person uh, an organ has to be replaced or i mean not replaced sorry that's not the word um if a uh, how do you bring the body back to normalcy once an organ is removed maybe or yeah. what is so the aftercare of that yeah so that is like see like any other surgery the removal of the organ really doesn't make any difference it is like whatever the body has gone through the surgery the stress of the surgery takes a couple of weeks for the body to come back to normal exactly that yeah. yeah so that's about it but that is the same with any surgery like even if you've not removed an organ if you've done any other surgery okay uh, so whatever time two weeks three weeks it takes for the body to come back that's okay. about it for example like if you're saying if a kidney is removed or half the liver is removed it doesn't really affect the body too much yes the body compensates and it starts functioning the way it is supposed to okay you're saying that uh, the body complement i mean it will have it an effect on it. it's, it's yeah it is like a uh, body can live with one kidney also or half liver also or okay. if you remove part of the intestine again it will get used to it unless it's a very very major surgery where like? you're doing most of the intestine and mm. uh, your there is a something called stoma which which is got out of the abdomen and you pass tools through that into a bag right right so that is that is more of a mental thing getting used to it rather than a physical thing so it takes a little time for the patient to get used to the fact that you know he's passing tools outside the body you know into a bag but uh, from the physical point of view it is not uh, much okay all right everything else the body will adapt to is what you're saying what, yeah. yeah. what you're trying to say yeah. right 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 doctor also um coming to people who think a general surgeon is a general surgeon and a surgical oncologist what is the difference between a general yeah, surgeon mean, yeah obviously it's like uh, when you are doing oncology you need qualifications yes true. like uh, suppose you are a cardiac surgeon you have to be trained in cardiac surgery yeah because you all start off as general surgeons and then certain guys go on to do cardiac surgery certain guys go on to do neurosurgery brain surgery so right. there are obviously uh, you know courses for that you know so if you are qualified that's the best thing but you know the problem is earlier on there were no degrees so right. general surgeons used to work with in a certain institute say like tata or you know any big onco institute they used to get training and they used to do it that's how it was earlier so a lot of our bosses and all they don't have degrees as such yes i was just coming to ask that yeah yeah but see obviously that they worked in that field for so long so it's okay so mm. that doesn't make a difference as long as you've trained at a particular place for you know so many years with somebody but the problem what we face is a lot of these general surgeons who don't have really much of a training mm. and they still feel that they can tackle it you know? they go okay. ahead and do it and give the wrong treatment right for example that is, that's a, yeah so that was like, leading to my next question yeah yeah so what the thing is you have to do research uh about your doctor you know where suppose he doesn't have a degree if you have a degree obviously you know that he is a oncologist or a cardiac surgeon but suppose he doesn't have a degree 
to kind of do a little bit of research with the internet you can easily do the research now yeah where uh, where this doctor has trained how many years has he been practicing oncology you know which center has he worked in so you kind of get an idea so because right, the problem is you get only one shot at it if you if the general surgeon does a wrong thing then it becomes very difficult to kind of fix it that was what i was getting yeah. at because you know underprivileged people don't have the kind of facilities that a lot yeah. of us have and they just also get one shot at it yeah so that's true. that is something that i wanted to ask you like how do they tackle the situation the problem again is you know if there's a general surgeon and again like you said the cost issue exactly if they, if they say that i'll do it in this much and even if they bond to an oncologist and the cost is more in a hospital and if a general surgeon in a nursing home says i'll do it for this much they will easily go there only cheaper the cheaper i says that i i know how to do it and i'll do it at probably one fourth of the cost or half the cost they will not bother honestly even about the degree or anything that is now <laughs> lot of these things are not in our control but at least uh i would say like do a proper research uh about the doctor you are going to nowadays everybody takes second third opinions right second opinion third opinion so yeah. i mean people are obviously more aware right now so yeah i mean the general population is aware but yeah. i'm talking about the underprivileged people who yeah. you know really really need it they don't yeah. have the finance for it they don't have the like uh, how do we even tell them the importance of you you know the right yeah, meeting the there right are institutes like tata and all which does it at a very a reasonable rate of course there is long waiting period yeah. so there is always a give and take and you get it done for free but you have to wait for a long time for a long time yes so yes but the in thing. the essence of cancer like when you're talking about cancer time is of essence right of course yeah so we have but no I, time to lose <laughs> yeah but again like you said if the money is an issue then they have no choice they rather wait and hope for the best <laughs> oh yeah Yeah. that is true you have to draw the line somewhere i i mean in the you know a lot of the lot of the private hospitals also have lot of these schemes now if okay. you are below a particular income level okay. it becomes totally free and with within a certain income you get uh, half the bill is you get it done for half the cost right okay. so yeah there are i mean uh, options even in private hospitals right okay. as far as who you go to like i said you have to do a proper research yeah uh, who the doctor is how long he's been practicing where he's uh you know done his training and all that stuff all of that is very essential right yeah 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 doctor could you uh, enlighten us more about head and neck cancers because of the rising trend of it right now in yeah. i mean in recent times head and neck yeah. cancers have been i mean i saw the trends and i myself was shocked so yeah, yeah. that that's the commonest in india because obviously uh uh age because of smoking and a lot of tobacco use uh okay. obviously you know chewing tobacco they keep it in one particular area so oral and uh, throat cancers are very common in india very common mouth tongue throat uh the larynx that's a voice box so so that is uh, basically uh, because of tobacco and smoking mainly and tobacco palm, you know, and beetle beetle nut and that yeah. is another very uh, a very strong uh, positive age okay and how do we how do we make the make them understand that all these things are really bad for them and is there any way of you know kind of some kind of awareness i think they do they do understand but they it's like 
could you tell uh, us about how a patient would react to you when you're trying to explain to them i mean with the number of rising cases that would have come to you in your experience see, doctor yeah but see by the time when they obviously come to us they already have it so you can, so they at that time it's too late you can just tell the family members and then maybe they can spread it around to the people they know but right now anyway government is doing a lot of things you know you see it on the cigarette covers you have these pictures of yeah. the you know oral cancer ka picture if you go to a movie theater you will see the ads coming mm. so there is a lot of this awareness going on and a lot of people are aware of it also that it is it's bad for them but they still do it yeah that's the thing they still not letting go of their old habit yeah yeah so it's like uh, they feel that they probably won't get it or it's so awareness <laughs> is definitely there is definitely increased in the last 5 to 10 years compared to what it was earlier compared yeah yeah but unless the habits go like chewing tobacco having pan it's not going to change it's not yeah. going to change so it's yeah, up yeah. to the individual basically yeah. yes doctor also side effects when coming to cancer there are so many side effects while the treatment is going on while yeah. there are so many so how do how does one you know cope with that nausea so, so, diarrhea constipation like the so side those are, are mostly yeah so those are mostly uh, uh, when the chemotherapy is going on right uh, post surgery there are certain uh, effects of surgery like i said after post any surgery there will be certain things like weakness you can't get out of bed for 3 days you know you won't have appetite for 2 3 days so those are very common with surgery unless you are doing a specific uh, cancer surgery and there are very specific uh, symptoms or each of them you know right but most of these things which you mentioned like nausea vomiting are mostly post chemotherapy loss of taste also the person doesn't yeah, yeah loss taste, of so they, taste they can't eat because nutrition yeah. is very important yeah loss of hair dryness of mouth so a lot of these things are post chemo and radiotherapy but that when the treatment is uh, done they do get medication for each and everything like okay. for diarrhea they'll get medicines for that right. or for dryness of the mouth they have certain uh, solution which you keep gargling okay to keep the mouth a little moist okay and uh, yeah so post every cycle of chemotherapy or post radiotherapy that particular doctor prescribes a whole list of medicines because it, these are known complications or known side effects of the treatment you're expecting it to come you're expecting yeah so they the, there's a detailed detailed treatment plan for all that okay yeah an entire treatment plan that is kept specifically for yeah. the side effects as to what must yeah, be yeah. done for side effects right yeah. right okay doctor also uh, coming to stomach cancer hmm. and colon cancer yeah could you please share your knowledge on that because people i don't understand how they um, like the trends are rising is it the nutrition yeah. as to why is it the way the habits that the person is eating as to why they land up it's with some yeah. so see, lot of these things cancer. yeah so lot of these things is basically uh, uh, i wouldn't say the exact cause but it adds to it like suppose the diet like you mentioned huh. so that definitely does add to both uh, stomach and colon cancer right but uh, you wouldn't say that is only because of that like suppose you have a lot of red meat or a lot of fried stuff that that because of that you got it it is one of the causative agents you could say it adds to it most of these are Oil. due to genetic Oily mutations yes, yes 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 yeah so it basically adds to it it's like an additive thing so okay. fried stuff they say if you have smoked fish or uh, 
you know, very uh, deep fried stuff, you know, that uh, the crumbs which are there, those fried things that can, black uh, crumbs, yeah, yeah. the black things that can cause, you know, that, uh, that has carcinogens, which can cause stomach cancer. Uh, okay. Yeah. Like I said, salted fish and uh, they say a couple of things, you know, so these kind of things, once they go into the body, the acid in the body and all converts it into carcinogen. So that can cause stomach cancer. Same with colon, again, high, uh, lot of red meat. That can add to it, yeah. When you're saying this, I myself am from South India. I'm from Kerala. We have a lot of red meat. We have a lot of fish. I'm listening to this and I myself... Fish, getting... okay. fish, is, fish is very good. <laughs> no, yeah. that was just on the lighter note. Yeah, so, <laughs> so even I'm from Kerala, by the way. Oh, is it so? That that's really good to know. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah. So fish is very good. So that's fine. So, but uh, red meat. We're talking about more of when you talk of the Western population. They have a lot of steak and uh, beef and all those things. Yeah. Yeah. So again, moderate consumption is okay. When you are having it on a daily basis, it probably adds to it uh, over a period of time. All right. All right. Yeah. Okay. Also, in your experience, um, have you come across a very rare case, doctor, which was really challenging for you? Uh, rare? Uh, yeah, we've had a few of these. Uh, not particularly uh, in GI, but right. uh, there was one case where there was a tumor of the uterus in a young lady. Okay. That was extending all the way into the abdomen and to the heart. Oh my God. Okay. Yes. So Please like tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah. It was a young lady. It was, um, uh, so I think this was like way back, you know, probably 10, 12 years back. That was when I was, uh, during my training. Right. So it was, uh, like I said, it was coming from the uterus. It was going into the blood vessels of the abdomen and it went into the chest and it went into the heart all in one piece. So that, that was a, that was a big girl. Uh, yeah. How exactly did you all tackle that? I mean, what was your treatment we plan? We had a team, basically. Uh, there was a cardiac surgeon also involved. All so right, you put yes. A lady on the bypass machine. Okay. Then you take it out from the heart. Then you take it out from below. Oh. And yeah, it was a very long and <laughs> complex surgery. Yeah. It is complex. Oh my God, that must have been a yeah a, quite an experience also yes. as a doctor yeah. for you. It's very so rare. You know, you don't see those kind of things very often. Yeah. Um, like what stage was the cancer in? I mean, it hadn't spread anywhere else, but it was just one single piece coming from below to the top. Yeah. Just like that. Yeah. Okay. And she was diagnosed at what age? I think she was uh, 28 or something like that. She was 28. 28. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's pretty young for someone who. Yeah. yeah. So much. Okay. But she was okay. I think she's still okay. So that's good. That's brilliant. That's brilliant to know. Really. I mean, the amazing work that you guys, I mean, as doctors put up is just, yeah. I, I myself am so inspired that way. <laughs> anyway, so uh, doctor, talking about debulking and palliative and reconstructive surgery, when yeah. to choose when, doctor? No, so those are all, uh, they all come under different uh, settings, basically. Correct. Debulking, you say normally in ovarian surgery, ovarian cancers, right. where you debulk, where you try to remove as much as possible. Right. Uh, so, or any other tumor where you try to remove as much as possible, you, you might not be able to remove the full thing, 
Yeah. But to reduce the bulk basically as much as possible so mm-hmm. that when you do chemotherapy or any other treatment, the volume of disease inside the body is very less. Okay, so it's like a pre, before the treatment you do like a procedure. Mostly, that? mostly. It can be after also. All right. But mostly, you know, you do it prior so that, you know, the volume of disease becomes less. less. Or after you've given chemotherapy, suppose you've given chemotherapy first and then you go in for surgery. Right. And sometimes it's still not possible to remove the full thing. Right. Because probably it might uh, uh, cause danger to the patient or something. So you generally tend to leave a little bit behind. So that's debulking. You try to remove as much as possible, hmm. uh, keeping the safety in mind. Right. And, and reconstructive? Uh, reconstructive is, see, reconstructive basically comes under uh, various surgeries. Like, right. like you mentioned, head and neck. Suppose yeah. it's a very big tumor, you need a plastic reconstruction. Like, I mean, could you, I'm not uh, understanding. Like suppose your jaw is removed in a uh, head and neck cancer, along with the skin and all that. Obviously, you can't leave it open like that. So no, then uh, there are various uh, plastic surgeries. You know, you take muscle from the chest and you put it here to cover the defect. You take bone from uh, your leg mm-hmm. and you reconstruct the jaw, which was removed. So that is reconstructive surgery. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So, and palliative? Palliative surgery, like I said, you know, palliative means you can't, uh, there are not too many options. Yeah, what so are like, the options that we are yeah, So with? Palliative surgery is again, you know, suppose um, uh, the patient has jaundice. Right. Yeah, so you can do something like a palliative, uh, a particular palliative surgery to relieve the jaundice. Right. The palliative surgery is very less now because see that also there are stents available. Endoscopically, you can relieve the jaundice. Okay. You don't really need to go in and do surgery. But this can be done only if the person is much younger, not older. Like no, no, nothing like that. Palliative surgery, you basically have to again look at various aspects. You know, uh, what are the other options available? If we can avoid surgery in any way, like I said, endoscopically, if it can be done or something else can be done, that's better. So other palliative surgery is, suppose there's breast cancer and it's it's very huge and it's bleeding. Right. So then, you know, you kind of remove the tumor, even though you normally wouldn't, but because the bleeding can't, so you remove the tumor. Right. So it's very few palliative surgery as such. Right. Yeah. Very few, but still it's just there. Yeah, it's there. Yeah. It's there. Okay. And also, do- doctor, talking about the social stigmas attached to these. Yeah. I mean, cancers. Yeah. Uh, when a patient comes right up to you and like, how are they, are they able to talk freely? Are they able to, what is, what is the stigmas attached to it? And how do we get past them in so your nowadays experience? Nowadays I've seen they're pretty okay talking about it and all. Okay. But there are still certain families who wouldn't like uh, uh, to, you know, discuss it. It's like uh, if somebody has it, they're not going to go and tell their friends or anything like that. It's They generally try to keep it within the family only. Yes. Yeah, yes. not the spirit. So sometimes they don't even want to talk about it. Yeah. So that is still there, but... Uh, Compared to say five years or ten years, they are at least a little more uh, open to talk about the thing. Right, yeah. right. These days they are a little bit more open. A little bit more, but it's still there. It's still uh, it's not something which uh, can go away. For... To know. Yeah. Yeah. Also, the doctor. I'm asking this mainly because I had uh, one of my uh, grand aunts who 
passed away who's expired uh, with first she had jaundice then okay. later she landed up having stomach cancer okay um we ne- we never knew we never knew the signs because she never spoke about it hmm she was not talking although we used to, her nails started becoming yellow yeah. her eyes started becoming yeah, yellow yeah. so uh, this happened towards the end and when people it was you look at you look at her you see there is an abnormality yeah so towards the beginning if she had spoken about it she okay. was trying to cover it up and yeah, nobody mm-hmm. know about it so yeah. why, i could never understand why would she try to cover something up yeah. if she ha- if you know something is happening with you you know that you're going through something different from others why yeah. would you want to wouldn't you run for help is what i am asking yeah because see a lot of the times uh, when you have something inside the abdomen the symptoms are very vague so right. you generally tend to kind of brush it off you know some mild pain here and there you know that obviously it can be just a stomach ache right or something like that you know sometimes you might feel heaviness inside so these are very non specific symptoms hmm. so i mean and it's but obvious you know nobody is going to like as soon as you get a small stomach ache or some uneasiness that you go and get a scan immediately yeah that you, that also do, yeah you do tend to ignore it for a long period of time and it grows pretty fast and okay. there's so much space inside the abdomen and all that it can keep growing and you probably won't realize anything oh the symptoms are uh, are yeah. hardly seen is what you're saying most of the time it's like that so okay. for example head and neck cancer is very easy to see it's there in your mouth like suppose you you can see an ulcer you can see a growth when you're brushing your teeth or when you open your mouth so that okay. is easily accessible obviously when it's something on your face but when it's inside your abdomen it becomes a little difficult okay also doctor the thing is uh, she never spoke about it because this i think was mainly because of the stigmas attached to it more than the symptoms because the symptoms were very uh, evident on her yeah yeah but like you say if there's jaundice you see yellowness in the eyes and all obviously you should immediately get it uh, checked yeah. but that also comes after a long time only you start getting jaundice and all that also after a certain period it's not like it happens immediately okay because we've also heard of cases where people just go to the doctor because of a slight stomach pain or a slight yeah. constipation problem and then finally they are being diagnosed with cancer yeah yeah of course those are the lucky ones but most of them they just kind of ignore it they oh yeah they like <laughs> we'll see later then it probably not, nothing happens for one or two months then again they might get a slight stomach ache Then I mean isn't that the irony is just two two months right like say for example uh, you were talking about head and neck cancers right yeah. like say uh, a person who has been a chain smoker all his life yeah having no cancer yeah, and yeah. a person who has not even touched tobacco maybe yeah. in his life having cancer at the age of what 25 26 yeah that's true i mean how can you how can we what are your thoughts on that doctor like how that's... do we even that's what so you know nobody is really solved all the all these things in oncology yeah you know true. that's why there's still so much research going on correct correct so that's why like i said earlier also there are guys who keep drinking their entire life like lots of it every day still nothing happens to them there are people who smoke a lot but still they don't end up with anything so again it is something to do with the genetics and you know how prone you are to get certain diseases and all that but mm. uh, yeah those are that is something of course there's 
the other thing is hereditary there are hereditary cancers as well so yeah. whether you have good habits or bad habits if it's hereditary you there are more chances that you can get it yeah could you enlighten us on these hereditary cancers doctor like yeah hereditary is uh, see mostly the most common is breast cancer oh okay yeah uh, the commonest we see there are others also like colon cancer and all those things uh, which are hereditary but the commonest we see is uh, breast cancer yeah so okay. suppose you have a family history mother grandmother aunt okay so there are certain tests which you can do to figure out whether you have that mutation that right. particular gene which is defective you can take precautions like reg- get yourself regularly checked and uh, you know mammograms annually or every 2 years and all okay. those things yeah these are like the basic to do's that everybody needs to be doing right like that a lot of us don't do yeah i mean yeah stuff like if you're talking of screening like mammograms and all they do uh, say after the age of 40 hmm. uh, maybe once a year once in 2 years if you have a family history you can start earlier as well the screening right okay and doing a pap smear for cervical cancer cervical uh, cancer yeah yeah once in 3 years i think now they've changed it to once in 4 years or something but yeah getting pap smears regularly checked that is another thing hmm so just be, uh, are you saying that just because someone in the family has uh, cancer hmm. do the does everybody else is it wise for everyone to go and take a diagnose i mean all the diagnostic tests no, for no, cancer no, just like i said specific uh, cancers like uh, suppose you have breast cancer it's in the family you know it's suppose your aunt has mother has grandmother had then definitely you have to get yourself a mutation check Yes, but just because somebody has some, say, head and neck cancer or some other random cancer, doesn't mean that you know everybody panics and starts getting tests done. Every done. There are specific okay. uh, cancers like breast cancer, even colon cancer. But even in colon cancer, there are certain tests which need to be done. You just have to be careful. Say maybe once in five years or ten years, get a colonoscopy done. Right, right. Yeah. Maybe after the age of thirty or thirty-five. Thirty, yeah. thirty-five. but main okay. thing is the symptoms suppose you have some kind of bleeding or something like that don't ignore it if you have a family history oh even otherwise you shouldn't but you yeah. should be a little more careful with the family history you need to be a yeah. little bit more careful yeah okay all right doctor my last and final question yeah. um what is uh, the best lifestyle and healthy lifestyle method or uh, a protocol that you would put out there for all the viewers watching this video doctor See again, protocol is something. Uh, see, there is no set protocol. Like right. I said, it has to be a healthy diet. Yeah. And uh, it's like I've said before. Also, you can have the healthiest diet, not smoke, not drink. You can still end up getting a malignancy. Right. So, you know, keeping that fear in mind that if I'm not going to have this, I'm not going to have that. It's not going to help. So, it's a very basic, uh, basic healthy diet. You know, like avoid. as much as possible the fatty foods uh definitely no smoking no tobacco uh you know more of grains and leafy vegetables you know meat also you can have red meat and all that stuff but occasionally occasionally it yeah. depends on how much intake of it is there yeah, yeah. don't make it into like i'm going to have red meat every day mm yeah so balanced diet healthy diet you know not avoid as much as possible deep fried oily th- oily stuff Avoid. 
completely. So the protocol and lifestyle is something which has to be is something which uh, you can follow on a day to day basis. And it's different it for everybody, be, right? Yeah, like, it's different for everybody. Yeah. What works on one person's body doesn't have to work on another person's body. Exactly. So healthy diet basically avoid excess of anything. Right. Keep everything in moderation. Right. Everything in moderation. Yeah. Yes. So that is your take on it for all the viewers as yeah, yeah. a surgeon, as a doctor, and as a person that you are. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Anyway, thank you so much, doctor, for being with us today. No it is great. Lot, yeah. It was really great talking to you, and it was really great knowing you're from Kerala as well. Yeah, <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were from. I the ringtone was from uh, Tamil Nadu or something. It was from Kerala only. Like, yeah, it was. It was in Tamil, but no, when I called once, I have two sims, doctor. Okay, okay. All right, and your okay. understanding and deep insights of it really, really, I'm sure a lot of people are going to help get a lot of help from it. And uh, I mean, this conversation gave me also a lot of insight as a person, as a as a growing woman, right? Yeah, All right. Yeah, it was of help. Yeah. Thank you so much, Doctor. Thanks, Thanks. thanks a lot for taking the time out. I really appreciate it. And thanks on behalf of Zen Onco, I want to thank you. Thanks a thanks lot. Thanks a lot. Thanks.